At RxSafe, we believe in improving patient health by challenging conventional wisdom, upending the status quo, and transforming the retail pharmacy industry. Our innovative technology solutions are designed to accelerate your pharmacy's success and change the way you do business. We develop long-term partnerships with pharmacies and other industry innovators to help attract new customers, create additional revenue streams, and transform the traditional pharmacy model. Become the adherence packaging leader in your community and practice at the top of your pharmacy license. Get started today. Visit rxsafe.com. That's rxsafe.com to learn more. listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Since 2009, the Pharmacy Podcast has been leading podcast publications as the insider voice of the pharmacy industry. Explore the profession and business of pharmacy through audio. Join us at pharmacypodcast.com or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or any of your favorite podcast directories. On this episode of the Pharmacy Podcast Network, we welcome Dr. Ken Tai, founder of 986 Pharmacies. This interview was recorded live at the Western Pharmacy Exchange 2022, hosted by the California Pharmacists Association. We want to thank RxSafe for making our trip to the WPE 2022 possible and the opportunity to meet with leading pharmacy professionals from the great state of California. The largest pharmacy association in our great 50 states here in the great United States is the California Pharmacists Association. The Pharmacy Podcast has been part of the CPHA and been a partner in some media. Um, We did something. We either did some podcasting support or we got to go to the 2017 event that actually um, ushered in the new digital health initiative by Dr. Vintaka. Uh, Shout out to Risa. You are a hero of ours. And now we're back. This is CPHA. Uh, This is the Western Pharmacy Exchange 2022. And when I come to the West Coast, and I need to get over here more often, um, it's exciting because we get to engage with people that I haven't seen. And because of this crazy pandemic, I haven't seen a bunch of people that I value and friendships that we have. But I get to bring to the Pharmacy Podcast Nation and Network We're going to be here at the WPE for the entire event, but we're kicking off this event with a very special interview with Dr. Ken Tai. He's the founder of 986 Pharmacies. Wait till you hear this whole story. Just being serious, this is going to be a good good interview. Um, But Ken, um, when was your presidency with the CPHA? It was two years ago? Yeah, it actually started uh, uh, September of 2019, and then uh, immediately uh, we had our shutdown in March, and so my presidency uh, pretty much turned upside down from that point on. So everything I'd planned in terms of uh, you know wanting to really um, you know uh, take advantage of my time as a, as the leader of the association and. Um, just kind of completely went out the door. It was all ad hoc meetings, steering committees, PPEs, um, you know, uh, talking about screenings, talking about waivers with the state. It was just a mess. All right. So you've experienced something as a CPHA president that literally no other president has really experienced because the last pandemic was 1918. Okay. So, I mean, I'm sure the CPHA might, when did the CPHA start? Yeah, you know, that's a good question. See? I actually don't even exactly know, <laughs> but I know that it's been uh, at least 50, 60 years since we've been, uh, you know, an association. Right. Um, and uh, I honestly, for sure, 
think that I'm probably the only COVID president at this point in time, hopefully the last one. Yes. So then what did that teach you from how you were sailing along before the pandemic hit as someone that was supposed to be providing leadership with a with the biggest association in the United States, you know, a pharmacy association, and and then you took the helm as president. Like, tell me about that stress, or tell me about that story of what that felt like. Um, you know what? I, I think that that's the ultimate reason why I was there. I almost felt that, you know, in life they always throw you these interesting hands, right? Mm-hmm. You're thinking to go in there and you're going to try to provide some leadership to to take them to the next level, and all of a sudden you're getting thrown you know, the, the, the once in a lifetime type of a pandemic situation. And now it really, um, puts you on that spot where it's like, are you going to really, you know, push through here? You're going to right. provide that leadership and that calm under pressure, um, that's needed, right. To be that leader of the association. And I think that's really what I, I, I kind of looked at it as is, Hey, you know what, this, this, this was the test, right. This was a test, um, that no other, uh, person before you had had to, to, to uh, face? And are you going to make them feel comfortable that they have someone there that can make the right decisions to pull them through and make them feel a, a little bit of, of, of comfort that uh, the right person's doing the job? Isn't that interesting though, Ken, because you and I were talking before we started the interview about our backgrounds. Look how your background literally prepared you for a pandemic. Because tell me if if you back up 10 years, if you back up to where Ken Tai was 10 years ago, I don't think you would have been as polished and as ready to take on the stresses of what the pandemic did at a presidency level of a CPHA level size association if you didn't have had that runway of experiences as a business owner, as someone that knew what failure was, you know, knew how to navigate failure and knew how to keep going. Like, what do you think? I don't know, but I think you hit the spot, Todd. You le- when the minute you said that, I had shivers run down my spine. And the reason I say that is because I was like, you know what? T- if it was 10 years before that, I think I would have been fluttered. I wasn't scared. I would have been just like, what am I, the heck am I doing? Right. And you're so right, because I think everyone, there's a plan for everybody. And I think they, they might've chosen me for whatever reason to be in that spot because I'd had that experience, right. As a business owner for over 16 years now, I I remember that experience, you know, opening a a pharmacy when you put everything, your heart, soul, finances for sure into (laughs) a project. And you just know that you couldn't fail. You, You didn't have the option to fail. Right. And I felt the exact same way with CPHA. I felt that um, that a lot of people we have over um, you know five six thousand members, and they're all waiting for you. Like, what's the next step, Ken? Yeah. How are we going to do this? Right? Um, you had a, a full staff that was honestly. Do we come to work? Do we not come to work? Mm-hmm. Um, we had our Western Pharmacies Exchange that we had to cancel. Mm-hmm. That was a huge, huge aspect of our financial budgeting. Yep. So what happens when you don't have this? And, 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 you know, are we going to potentially go out of business? Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Is that going to be resting on my shoulders mm-hmm. as the president? These are all things that, quite frankly, 10 years before that, I would have been scared. But I ran a business. Mm-hmm. I've gone through that. I had to, you know, essentially work with the team to say, well, it's okay, guys. We can make this work. Let's rebudget. We might have to make some sacrifices. We might have to look for some ancillary help, whether that's grants. Uh, we might have to reach out and, and get more you know, of our members to pull some weight, yeah. right? Let's get some committees together. We have a lot of smart, intelligent, and very, very enthusiastic folks about our profession and about patient care 
they can now all come together to pull us through this. And I, I give them full credit that I was able to work with such a talented and, and um, dedicated group of pharmacists that were so, no, honestly, so vested in, in public health. And through some miracle effort, we pulled it together. We provided guidance, not just for our pharmacists, but for the state, uh, for the governor, um, you know, and I'd say even for the nation. Um, because they always look at California as one of the most advanced, you know, kind of groups. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, I obviously have some bias, uh, but, but I do feel that we've always pushed the boundaries of patient care. And uh, I, I think that was fully is illustrated uh, during that 2020 year. So what about the aspect of now being a recognized leader at a national level? And I know that the imposter syndrome for me would set in when I realized what I was doing, what I was building, I would, I was excited to build it, but I, I had that apost that, that imposter syndrome effect where and I'd say it happened maybe three, four years ago where I was like, am I really able to do what I envision I can do? And, and I'm, am I going to be able to pull this off? So now when you walk through the exhibit hall or your at a different conference and people recognize you. And like, I've been following you now since we linked up on LinkedIn, which is about five years ago. So I know who Ken Ty is like, you're this West coast pharmacy leader guy who's setting standards and building businesses and just upstanding and so respected. And, but, and I'm a little bit of a stalker of pharmacy entrepreneurs anyway, but like, when did you face that imposter syndrome? And like, how did you, how do you get past that? We're like, I just don't have time for that anymore because we have too much to do. It's so funny you said that. I don't even think about that because I don't think I am who you just said. I'll be very upfront with you. Uh, and and I, I, you, know, you, you mentioned five years ago. I can't believe it's been that long. Uh, but the, the reality is that I don't think that at all. I just think that I'm just, you know, like any other guy out there that's trying to make things work. And, um, you know, you, you know, when you start from nothing, you really don't think you have that much to lose because when you remember that once upon a time, there was nothing there, mm -hmm. right? Exactly. Then everything you have now, you're just grateful for. So I don't think that at all. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, well, first of all, thank you for, for even saying that. <laughs> but from my vantage point, um, all the people I've met, I'm just grateful because they're like friends. They're like yes. colleagues now. And so, and those that are not, I look forward to meeting them because they were all me once upon a time, yeah. right? Um, they're just looking for opportunities. They're looking for guidance. They're looking for someone who can say, well, you know what? It's, it's going to be okay. Like I've been there. Yeah. Like, you know, uh, you've been there and you've done that and you feel that you can share this. And it's the same thing I do with my team. You know, I, I think we talked a little bit earlier about the fact that one of the things that I'm most grateful for is that, you know, through all these years, you, you, you start accumulating tidbits of knowledge here and there about things. You meet folks that are interesting like yourself uh, and other leaders. And you just, they were the reason why you are who you are, right? And so now I, I get to be in a position where I could pay some of that forward and say, you're me. So how can I help you? Yeah. You know? And so I don't think any, like, honestly, it doesn't even cross my mind about what you talked about. So I, I don't feel any pressure from that at all. I just feel like I'm just, you know, another guy out there trying to make it work. And I feel I'm at the tip of the iceberg. There's so much more to do yeah. and so much more to give. Um, the question is just, um, you know, uh, just, just taking advantage of the opportunities before you. Yeah. You know, and, and honestly, not thinking too much. I think sometimes we think so much and it almost becomes a, a deterrent, a deterrent to you wanting to do something different because it gets scary. Yes. Right. And, and as pharmacists, we're probably the most careful, well thought out people out there, the nicest folks. Um, but that's also one of our, I think, our major flaws. 
you overthink something and it becomes um, paralysis by analysis. Yes. You know, and, and I, I try to definitely be strategic and plan. But at the same time, I also feel that there's this gut feeling you have. And when you feel it's the right thing to do, you just do it, you know, and you just take it as it comes. All right. So I guess they call that the softball section of the podcast. So I'm going to shift gears. I'm going to start crunching down into some things I'm really seriously curious about. First thing that I'm very curious about. I don't remember when provider status took effect in the state of California, but I do believe, as I remember, that you were the very first state. California was the very first state to have provider status. Isn't that correct? Absolutely. Okay. So... Everybody is still talking about it. Scott Knorr and I have talked about it at the, at the APHA. Dr. Knorr is an amazing powder keg of energy, and he's really helped the APHA to transform into the association that we need today. It's a modern kind of approach to some things. And not everybody agrees with him. You know, and as a leader, not everybody's going to agree with you. It's just part of being a leadership. But he doesn't, I mean, in the, in the end of the day, he's like, hey, I have a job to do is to grow this, right? And there's changes at the federal level and at the state level and the states are all over the map of what's happening. But I want to take you back to that day that you guys got provider status after working for it as hard as the association was part of that, because it was, I mean, you guys were, you guys were, I remember the papers. I remember reading in the news. I remember like the, the progression and blah, blah, blah. Cause I'm just a nerd about you about pharmacy in general and stuff. But what did that mean to you? And then where are we today that did it make the impact that we thought it was going to make? Or do we need to bake a new cake under the flag of pharmacists being providers in the state of California? Well, first of all, you want to bring me back to that day. And I can tell you that day is when you do that little victory dance <laughs> and you go around, you shake it, and then you look like you're like a three-year-old kid. Um, <laughs> yeah. that, that, that was me. And I, I guarantee you that was a lot of pharmacists in California and probably throughout the country. Um, it was just, it's like, you know, you, you feel that it's, you've worked so hard as a profession with your colleagues and, um, and finally you get recognized, yep. you know, and, and you're the first in the country to ever get that recognition. And, um, it was such a shared effort. All of us had worked our butts off, whether mm -hmm. as, um, witnesses up there as, you know, going to legislators to meet and greets, um, knocking on doors. I mean, it was a grueling effort, and it involved all the schools of pharmacy, include our association, um, and it include all the pharmacists out there that had a vision and had a dream that one day um, people will, will see us as a healthcare providers similar to everyone else, yep. which was almost sound ridiculous at the time, but that was what, that's all we wanted, to be recognized. Yep. Um, and so, yes, that, that day was something that I'll never forget. And then we still talk about today. I mean, uh, the, uh, my fellow comrades at, at, at war and at battle, um, <laughs> when, when it was uh, finally, you know, passed, it was just, yeah. I mean, I, I, I think the euphoria is still, still there. Um, now you fast forward, right? I think it's probably about six, seven years now since mm -hmm. that time period. Um, and I will say that um, you know, finally, I, I do think other states are catching on. I do think there's one thing, though, that we really, quite honestly, in our haste to get that done, we, 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 did, not, we did not ask for reimbursement, mm -hmm. right? We felt that it was, hey, if we showcase what we can do, then they'll pay us. Um, that has, I would say, 
not necessarily been the case. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt that uh, at this point in time, there are you know isolated incidences where we've seen that. I think we have paved the way towards making sure that's going to happen at one point in time. But um, I don't think it's fast enough. Right? I don't think it's ever fast enough to do work, uh, to serve your patients, and to do well for the community, and then basically not getting paid even though you're recognized as a provider, right. uh, similar to your, all your fellow other healthcare providers, which include nurses and PAs and doctors and et cetera. So I think we have a long way to go. Um, I do think uh, we have the platform now. We, we have the, uh, the, you know, we've kind of paid the foundation. Um, hopefully it comes sooner than later, but I do think that that's something that we need to keep in mind, you know, yeah. that uh, if we're going to ask for something, we should at least ask that uh, that something comes with some level of, of um uh, financial uh, compensation. You know, not, no, we're not asking for, we're not asking for something that is unreasonable. We're right. just asking for something that's fair, Correct. you know, uh, similar to any other provider that's doing the same level of service. Yes. And, the, and the thing is, is I, I wonder at this point, because I agreed with you, as you, as you were saying it, I can imagine all the work that was done to get it, to get provider status. And now the pharmacist in the state, we have our just basic human beings out there who are a little more negative per se. They're like glass half empty people. And they're like, Oh, you know, we did all this work and now we got, we we don't have anything to show other than they recognize us as providers. Here's your badge, you know, high five, go, go fill those 600 prescriptions and get paid by the script. And that's it. So what I hear you saying and what I believe from a provider status perspective, regardless of what state to the point that we get this from a federal perspective is pain management, um, cancer medication management, um, taking somebody as you and I were talking before we were, we were, um, recording, we were talking about, Hey, in addiction medicine, we have those patients who were on a methadone uh, every day, liquid methadone, and they want to get onto a Vivitrol and and they're ready to do it, but they need a pharmacist literally to hold their hand for that 10-day period or that 14-day period to make sure that it's out of their system so that they can be getting ready for that 30-day shot. Okay, all of those things I just mentioned, pain management, pharmacogenomics, um, addiction medicine, but that's where the pharmacist could be stepping in and being paid to guide those patients to the success of what their medications are supposed to be doing and get paid to do so, so that we don't stop wasting money just just relying on the medication itself. No, the medication is the beginning of the therapy. You need to have someone who understands metabolization and medication and drug-drug interactions and drug food and drug allergy to lead us to, to keep us on schedule so that those medications are working as intended including most of the time comorbidity where you have a whole hodgepodge of things happening with that patient. So that to me is what meaningful provider status would be is narrowing down into the channels of treatment that the patients honestly need to make them live better lives. Yeah. I I think you, you said it, you know, uh, beautifully. And that is that, you know, uh, um, medicine is just medicine. Right. Without um, the the care and the understanding of of how to engage the patients to make sure they stay on um, on their regimen to make sure that they're adhering to what they need to do and are comfortable um, with and, and understanding the end goals of what that's supposed to you know do for them, it, it doesn't work. 
I mean, let's be very honest, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, they've already seen that whether that's adherence programs and MedSync and whatnot, that pharmacists make a difference. You yeah. know, they're the ones there that will, um, you know, uh, ensure that the meds work properly, you know, and ensure that patients' lives are, are, are being, you know, their, their lives are being saved and that they're living longer and healthier, right? Um, th- th- that's what pharmacists should be paid for. Yep. You know, um, dispensing work, we all know. I mean, there's automation out there. There's technology out there that's doing a lot of that work. Um, we, I, I think uh, anyone um, that uh, understands what we do as a, as a professional understand that that's not, that's not it at all, right? And so, um, you know, are, are we doing a good enough job to ensure the education is there with everyone else, Right, um, especially those that are making laws and policies that are paying other healthcare providers. That uh, right. this is this is what's important, you know, a, a, as a pharmacist. And so I, I think we we still have a lot of work to do, but at the same time, um, you know, uh, things don't happen overnight. You know, this is a process. Yep. And so I'm perfectly understanding of that. I, I, I'm still extremely euphoric about the fact that I, I had a chance to be a part of it and to at least look back on my career one day and said, hey. You know what? Uh, you know, I, I at least did a little something to, to help um, get us to that point, and was involved with that. And, and instead of stay, you know, honestly staying on the sidelines, which is something we always advocate for. You know, right. you, you have to be involved. You know, as you, we always think that things that we do don't matter. It does. It does matter when everyone is going to do it together, and you feel that this is a team effort. It's not just a one or two man show, which never works. That brings me back to 986, okay? And by the way, everybody, you have to listen to this because this is the best story ever. I went to, got to have dinner with Ken, and the RX Delivered Now team took us out. Thank you so much um, to Michael and to Anthony for having us as guests. It was an amazing dinner at Barry's here in Vegas. It was, it was so much fun. But I was talking to Ken, and I said to him, tell me about this name. Like, tell me about this 986 name. Because I was so curious. Listen to this. Everybody just seriously listen to this part. This is so cool. Tell us about 986. Well, I have to say it is cool, but I'm not going to take full credit because I'm the least creative person you can think <laughs> of. Um, however, I, I, I do know that um, we wanted to you know, come up with a name um, that was, well, first of all, we, we wanted to look at our audience, right? We work yeah. with a lot of patients that are elderly, geriatric. Um, they're usually in niche markets, which means that, or, or you know, they're in, uh, in the Southern California area where essentially they speak all different languages with different cultures, which is kind of the premise of this country, right? Mm-hmm. We have so many people that come out over here and um, they might not understand the culture. They might not speak the language or very well, right? And so they want to be able to recognize a provider that they can feel comfortable with, right? But how do you tailor that to all these different groups? Right. I mean, it's it's almost impossible. So um, with that in mind, you know, our, our creative team um, started to think, what, what are the easiest things you remember, right? Obviously, there's one, two, three, and there's ABCs out there, right? <laughs> but that's too generic, right? We're not going to go there. Um, and, and it has to be health-related, right? But it also has to be easy for them to understand and has some meaning behind what we do and why we do this, you know? We go out there and, and, and um, work so hard to service our patients. So they came up with 98.6. Now, 90.6. Well, that, that's that's our normal body temperature. Mm-hmm. At least it was five years ago until they changed it. <laughs> um, but we're sticking with this name. Um, so uh, uh, 98.6 is our normal body temperature, which means that essentially, you know, 
uh, if it's above, obviously, you know, that means you're, you're, you're probably fevering. That means that you're probably sick and, and it's crazy, right? It's so applicable with this whole pandemic thing, mm-hmm. right? Everyone's afraid they get a free verve, right? And that's what they look for. And of course, if it's too low, then you're hypodermic. Maybe, you know, you have some issues with uh, uh, metabolism or thyroid issues. There's so many different reasons why that could be a concern, right? And so that's what we came up with, 98.6 degrees. Yep. Well, that's cool because I like how you staged it. It didn't matter if you were Hispanic or white or black or Asian, everybody's temperature as a human was 98.6. And that kind of baseline that, hey, we're all one, we're together, and we're all looking to live optimal health and, and feel good and live and live better. And that comes down to the kickoff of our of our primary care person, uh, f- uh, physician out there that kicks off the treatment, hands it to the, you know, to the running back or the wide receiver that's our pharmacist to drive the treatment to the goal line and to get out of the way and let them do their job, like let them do what they know to do and to make pivots and shifts and jukes along the way because maybe it wasn't, maybe that initial treatment at nine months of being on treatment, maybe it's not the right treatment now. Maybe things have changed in that patient's life. Maybe there's more depression or maybe there's a metabolization issue. But regardless, we have to... We have to have our care teams trust the specialist on the team to do the job that they were designed to do. And that's why I'm so adamant and so passionate about the power of our pharmacists. Yeah, I can't agree enough. And I think the... You know, if if you can, uh, if you ever want the perfect illustration of that, it's through this pandemic. I yep. still remember um, when we had talked to to the state and the governor, and they're you know kind of hesitant about making you know getting us the ability to to provide these vaccinations and whatnot. Um, and uh, ultimately, you know, we were granted the waivers and ability to do that. And uh, look what happened. You know that that was really what accelerated the vaccination effort. Um, that was really what accelerated our abilities to be where we are right now, where you you had you know the vaccination rates that we saw. Yep. You know, um, my team, uh, I, I, you know, Jesus, I, I give them so much props. They went out there and, and within a few months had vaccinated, I think, over 150, 180,000. I think that was, I'm still counting the numbers right now. Uh, 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 patients in the LA County area, which is crazy. They were out in community centers. They were in parks. They were in driveways. They were at the Boys and Girls Club. Um, uh, 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 and they were at LA County. We were even at the Crypto Decomer dot com arena um we were it was just everywhere we, yeah. we were scattered everywhere and, and it didn't matter it wasn't even about 96 it was just about the community and about the fact that you know we're part of this effort and we want to do whatever we can to to really you know help uh, uh you know uh, anyone who needed it you know and um I mean, just think about it, right? I mean, pharmacists were probably one of the few and only main healthcare providers other than maybe the hospitals to stay open throughout this right. whole pandemic. And, I, and you know, uh, God bless all my, you know, fellow uh, uh, doctors out there. Even they cut their hours, right? Mm-hmm. They became telehealth and they, they had to uh, minimize their, their contact and whatnot. But pharmacists, no. We, we were there every single day. Yep. You know, we had to find ways to create some extra coverage so that we could protect our staff. But we never closed. We did curbside. You know, we even sometimes had to extend our hours to ensure that our patients got their meds <laughs> um, during the most crazy times. You know, and remember that March shutdown and everyone was literally everything was closed except the pharmacies and right. maybe the hospitals. Right. It was crazy. So now what? So less pressure on you in some perspectives because... You're a past president, but the presidency, the board of directors, Susan and her team, that are just a fabulous team to work with at CPHA, 
you're still kind of part of this leadership core because you're you're setting the standard for the new coming of the new age of pharmacy because we are on we are on a huge transfer we'll always remember this you and i are basically the same age and we're going to remember that we were part of this transformational period so what happens now with with your your business and kind of your mission and how does that fold into the cpha well, first and foremost, CPHA will always have a special place in my heart, mm-hmm. no matter how. You, I mean, no matter where I go in life or what, where life leads me, um, I, I look back and literally I've been with CPHA now for over 24 years, which is ridiculous, Incredible. right? Um, starting as a first-level student rep, representing my local association, uh, then becoming um, the local uh, association president in the San Gabriel Valley area, and then ultimately becoming the president, um, I think I counted almost... I was 14 plus years on the board and everybody's my friend. I mean, literally Susan, I hired Susan right before the <laughs> pandemic or actually during the, somewhat during the pandemic. Um, and so this is family, yeah. you know, you don't ever leave family. Right. right. Um, and, uh, you know, you might go out there and, and, and continue to, to try to do good work for the profession, but I'm always involved. Um, I'm always a phone call away if they ever need me for anything. Um, I'm still uh, the chairperson of the uh, uh, the uh, pharmacy ownership SIG, which is a special um, interest group within uh, CPHA. I'm still very much involved with multiple committees. Um, I still regularly uh, am in contact with um, the executive board and Susan. As a matter of fact, we see each other at conferences all the time, <laughs> um, even though I'm in a different capacity. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't feel like I've ever left because, yeah. you know, this is already a part of my life. It's like saying that, you know, these are your children or yeah. this is your f- parents. You don't ever leave them. Right. You know, you might continue to grow out there and evolve, but they're always going to be, you know, they're always going to have a special place in your heart and you just continue to work and, and provide whatever support they need. Yeah. That's the way I feel about the PPA. And I got to serve for three years as industry chair for the Pennsylvania Pharmacists Association with Pat Apple, and that was special. And now I have pride to look back in that time and saying how I helped to serve the association. Now I see how far it's come. They've done some special series on um, the stigma of addiction and addiction treatment. They're actually in the middle of that series right now, which was I'm so proud that they got funding from the, the state to do that. And I kind of look at now CPHA, which is my go-to source for the West Coast side, of the nation and, and pharmacy. And I see, I still see this association leading in so many ways of how you've gotten the schools involved. Um, you're kind of a, an example of how pulling through a student to become part of the leadership. And now, you know, they're looking to you to always kind of feed off of some of the uh, strategies that you have in place that kind of spill out into the entrepreneurial minded uh, P3 that's out there listening to this podcast right now. Someone is thinking, hey, I want to go entrepreneurship and like, let me look at Dr. Ty and what he's built and how he's built it. Maybe I should be part of the CPHA. Maybe I should, you know, what does, uh, what does this national, what does this state association do for me? If we could look at you and see, wow, this really meant something to you. You had a brother, sister, family feeling about the organization and it's helped you to get where you're at right now. And I'm sorry to say, if you're in pharmacy, welcome to politics because and by the way, politics isn't a dirty word. There's good politics and there's bad politics, just like anything else. Good sugars, bad sugars. Good cholesterol, bad cholesterol. Well, guess what? Good politics, bad politics, okay? Well, this is the good politics. This is what's become of you and your career. You believed in the association and look at how the association has helped you 
from a political perspective, get you where you are today? Oh, 100%. I mean, you know, life is fair. What you put in is what you get out, you know? And you said right. I mean, I don't think there's many people out there that say, oh, my God, I love politics. I love politics. I love dealing with all this stuff. No, I mean, I'll be the first to tell you. But I also, you know, am very passionate about uh, my profession. I'm very passionate about the people I work with. And so in order to protect them, in order to make sure that they continue to thrive, then you need to do whatever it takes. And if it, in, it involves uh, making sure that you have to spend some extra time out there to educate legislatures, or it, 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 uh, um, it involves you having to spend some time to go out there and let people know, um, you know, what are some of the things that are threatening um, the, the, the healthcare system and threatening yep. our profession, then you do it. Yep. It's really what it is. You know, um, you know, there, it's not ever that hard when you talk about things you're passionate about. It yeah. just comes from the heart, right? True. And then you just don't think of it as politics. You just think of it as, hey, I'm just doing my part, yeah. you know? And so it gets all woven into that whole, you know, thing. And, um, and you're right. I mean, CPHA has done a lot for me. You know, um, I always feel that a lot of times, you know, in this in this day and age, people are they always want instantaneous gratification. Yep. You know, they always feel that, oh, I'm going to do something right now. You better show me something. I'm going to get back for it. Right. I can tell you the most successful people I've had that I've met in my life. Um, they've never thought that way. Yep. They always just give, 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 give and give. And some some strange reason, they always end up getting more than they ever gave. <laughs> Yeah. Always. Um, and, and it might be not today. It might not be tomorrow, but it might be a couple of years down the line. It might be even even 10 years down the line or 15 or 20 years. But when it comes back, it comes back in ways that you never would have ever imagined. And it's not that you do it for that purpose, but, you know, in life, you know, it, it, it's fair. What goes yeah. around comes around. And I think I'm a perfect example of that because I never you know, went into this ever thinking that I'm going to get something out of it. But what I've gotten is more than I could ever imagine I could have given. <laughs> That's awesome. Ken, this has been a treat. Uh, we're going to have to have you back, but thanks for kicking off this, uh, this series. And we appreciate so much of what you've, what you've done. I have enjoyed getting to know you. And I think this is the beginning of us doing some other things in the future. Oh, absolutely, man. I, I really appreciate, um, you know, of course, you know, this is this is a great opportunity to really spread the word about CPHA and about like, you know, some of the good stuff we're doing out here in the West. But more importantly, I always look at these as opportunities to get to know um, different folks. And um, I, I've learned a lot about you in this <laughs> process and uh, really, truly admire the hard work you've put into, you know, making this podcast where it is right now. And um, like I mentioned earlier, not just to educate and to spread the word about the great things that pharmacists do, but to really tell the world about what pharmacists do, because we have to stop talking to ourselves. We need to tell everybody else <laughs> right. and at least let them recognize that, um, that, uh, that we're here for the community. We're here to, to, to make healthcare better. And um, it's through channels like yourself and through folks like you that are willing to share that message um, that we'll be able to hopefully get there. Absolutely. Thank you, Ken. Thank you, Todd. Appreciate it. <laughs>